Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, as I usually do uh, with my Q&A shows, I have a few updates and, and news items for you guys before we get into the actual question answering phase. <laughs> Um, and there's some big news because this week, uh, this coming week, I am going to Philadelphia for the International Cultic Studies Association annual conference. And I will be, um, I'm, I grabbed up the opportunity to do a presentation there and also to be on a panel with Aaron Smith-Levin and Christy Gordon. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. That panel is going to be moderated by Rachel Bernstein, who those of you who have watched my channel for a while are very familiar with wonderful woman, a psychologist out in, uh, out in Los Angeles, a uh, cult recovery expert. She's been a, a great friend of this channel and a good personal friend. So um, that's happening. And so this next week is going to be kind of interesting because I'm going to be gone from Wednesday, July 4th through to uh, the following Sunday for this conference. So that's all my posting time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some live streams and I'm going to do some video from there. Uh, so I will post on Thursday, but it will be probably Thursday morning or afternoon that I get that posted uh, for my channel for my Thursday video. And then um, I will probably try to do, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I can get uh, Rango a guest or two to do a live stream, uh, sensibly speaking, podcast on Saturday and a live uh, stream Q&A next week, a week from today, uh, from Philadelphia because I'll be leaving. I'll be coming back home Sunday night, so I'll be there. And uh, that's the plan. So we'll see how this goes. I'll try to uh, throw up uh, pictures and updates and things as the conference moves along. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm going to be meeting a ton of people in person, who some of whom I've had on this channel on my podcast or on videos that I've done, and some I've never met. Uh, in the um, ex-Scientology world, in the cult community, uh, the cult recovery community, I should say. <laughs> um, so I've really been looking forward to this conference for months, and it's finally here, and I'm very, very excited about it. Um, okay, so that's the plan for this next week. Also, I wanted to, again, sort of throw out, um, you know, just a little reminder, a little ask here for uh, support for my channel. You guys are the ones who keep this channel going and keep me able to do what I'm doing here. And I don't really know another more you know, honest, uh, forthright way of saying that. Uh, your support means everything to what I do here. And so for those newly coming on board, maybe you've never heard me talk about this before. For those of you who have been around since the beginning, you know, uh, I talk about this maybe too much, but um, but I, you know, that's that's what keeps the channel going. So please take a look at supporting me through Patreon. The link is uh, in one of the corners here uh, of the screen. Uh, there's a little I that you can click on that and get to my Patreon page. There's also a link in the description of all of my Q&A videos. In fact, all of my videos have links to my Patreon page. And uh, also, if you want to just do a one-off PayPal. Uh, support donation, that would be awesome too. And uh, YouTube, by the way, has just recently set up with Teespring to do merchandise connection on the channels. And I've had a Spreadshirt account with various merchandise uh, options there. I've put some Xenu shirts together and some Scientology stuff and other uh, some funny things and some critical thinking type merchandise. There's shirts, hats, that kind of thing. 
and I'm going to see how this Teespring connection, which is directly connected up with YouTube, works. And so you'll be hearing more about that in the future too. So if you guys have seen some of the shirts that I've worn, not this one, but some of the tees that I've had on, well, some of those are I, I created. So you can always check those out too. Link also below uh, to my Spreadshirt shop, and uh, you can check that out. All right, enough of the commercials. Let's get on with your questions. Stephen Willis. How would you explain the concept of make it go right? I've been a Scientology watcher for several years and I've consumed hundreds of hours of N theta at this point, but while I feel I have a good grasp of what make it go right means, I don't think I could effectively explain it. What's the best description you can come up with? Thanks for the question, Stephen, and also thank you for your patronage. <laughs> um, okay, so make it go right. Uh, that is the way. Make it go right and win the day. That is a little uh, uh, the chorus from the song Make It Go Right that L. Ron Hubbard wrote that they uh, sing on, on the Road to Freedom album. And Make It Go Right is something that L. Ron Hubbard described as the supreme test of a thetan. Is, uh, and a thetan, of course, being a spiritual entity in Scientology. You, who you truly and really are, is a thetan, not your body. And so the supreme test of a thetan is his ability to make things go right. Um, and so in Scientology, and especially in the Sea Org, this is a very valued trait. And it's basically about, well, there's another term in Scientology which might, uh, th is the best way I can communicate about this, and that term is necessity level. Uh, it's Hubbard's way of, of communicating the, the, you know, driving, picking your, not only picking yourself up by your bootstraps or kicking yourself in the butt, but necessity level is all about survival and the point where this sort of a tipping point where you um, you know you raise your necessity level you raise you're, you're confronted with a situation in life you're confronted with some problem whether it be at work or a personal problem and you have to deal with it you simply don't have a choice failure is not an option you know is an, is an is a common english expression for the sort of sense or feeling of what raising your necessity level is and that is something you have to do in order to make it go right you know making it go right is sort of the ultimate expression of pulling something off no matter how impossible or how unlikely or how improbable or you know it, it could possibly be just ignoring all of those barriers uh what they call the you know messed universe barriers the matter energy space time the physical universe in Scientology, it's called the Mest Universe, and ignoring any barriers from the, from the Mest Universe and making something happen anyway. Now, the theory behind this, the ultimate sort of theory behind this uh, in Scientology is that you as a spiritual being are immortal. You have been around for a nearly infinite amount of time in the past, and you will continue to exist a near infinite or infinite amount of time into the future. During that time, the physical universe has been something that you have occupied, you've been involved in, you've had you know, millions and trillions of, of, of lives, uh, lives, I should say, bodies. And during that time, uh, or, or rather I should say, um, your existence here in the physical universe is sort of viewed in Scientology as, uh, as this is like a playground. This is a place where, you, where you're, not now it's not, you've, you've devolved down over the trillennia into this degraded state where you think you are a body. 
And that's like a kid playing with dolls who says one day, I am the Ken doll or the Barbie doll. You'd look at him and go, what? That's crazy. Well, that's, that's how Hubbard describes us having bodies is, you know, I'm, I'm, this is me. This is who I am. And Hubbard goes, no, you're not. You're this immortal spiritual being. And so the, the, the whole existence of the physical universe is only a reality because we make it a reality through our will, through our intention. We want it to be that way, and so therefore it is. So the theory behind making something go right is that you've always had the ability and uh, superpower, I guess you could say, to bend the forces of the physical universe to your will. Uh, because you're the one who's actually creating all of this. And for anybody who's ever read uh, Richard Bachman, uh, or Richard Bach, rather, I should say, the Jonathan Livingston Siegel, or Illusions, uh, you know, The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah, these are, these are uh, books Scientologists love, and, and, and I learned about these very early on, um, because they pattern themselves after this whole, the same theory, that, that everything you see is an illusion, and, and everything around you is just there because you think it's there, it's not real, you're real. But everything else is just sort of a, you know, has about as much reality and, and should be taken as seriously as a, as a dream or a movie. So, um, so that is why in Scientology, and again, especially in the Sea Org, you are given tasks to perform or carry out or targets to achieve or accomplish. And there's no quibbling about it. You are simply to make it go right, to pull off whatever it is that's being demanded of you with no, ex you know, no excuses, no justifications or rationalizations as to why that's not possible. And um, I think, you know, this is kind of funny, but it's, it's the first thing that popped to mind when I read this question. So I'll give it to you as an example of, of what I'm talking about in the real world. I mean, this is going to be a, this is going to be a silly example. You're going to look at the, you're going to think about this and go, well, that's, kind of silly, but at the time, this was kind of an all-consuming problem for me. I was at a conference. Uh, there were senior Scientology executives putting on this recruitment conference. This was early on in my Sea Org career, probably the first or second year I was, I, I think it was within the first year of me being a Sea Org member. And so, you know, I was very, you know, oh my God, there's all these senior people around, not David Miscavige, but other middle management, higher executives. And um, we had staff from the various churches around the West U.S. there. And uh, the, one of the executives, oh yeah, I think it was the executive director international, who at the time was a bigwig, now he's just uh, Guillaume Lesseve, he's a French guy, now he's like in the hole or something, but at the time he was a bigwig. And he wanted, okay, like I said, this is going to sound silly, but he wanted an orange juice. We didn't have any orange juice. We didn't have any budget for any orange juice. We didn't have any accommodations for any orange juice. The hotel that we were putting the convention on at didn't have any orange juice. Yet here was this senior, senior Scientology executive who wanted some orange juice. And he was one of, doing the speaking at the conference. I was just one of the guys running logistics and, and making things go right to you know, set things up, get copies of surveys, put things together, you know, set up the chairs and tables. I mean, we were doing that kind of grunt work. And so this, uh, you know, this assistant to the executive director international comes to me and says, he wants this orange juice. And I'm like, well, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have any. I don't know how to get any. And I come back with this because I go, oh, okay. I didn't have any money, you know? And uh, so I didn't know what to do. And I ran around the hotel. They didn't have any. I came back to this executive and I looked at her and I just said, I, 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 I can't get any orange juice. There just isn't any around. And she just looked at me and she said, 
and I'm supposed to tell him that he can't have any orange juice because you couldn't make it go right? And I was like, no, sir. And I, you know, good. Well, then go, you know. And this was, this was to me at that moment in time with my resources and availability of orange juice, <laughs> I was screwed. And we were miles from the, the pack base, so I couldn't just go to the galley or just rip one off from the canteen. We were out at a hotel. So, um, you know, my other Sea Org, my other fellow Sea Org members didn't have any money. This woman who was giving me the order didn't have any money. And, uh, and I was really stuck on what to do. I had no idea how to make this go right. Um, and as best I recall, I did finally get a glass of orange juice. Um, because I ended up, I went to the front counter and they didn't have anything. I went to the, the little store that, you know, hotels will sometimes have for their guests. They didn't have anything. But I finally wandered all the way back around where I wasn't supposed to go into the kitchen area. And, um, and there was some orange juice there. And I got a glass and I uh, took it back to the guy. And I was told from the front desk and by, you know, people I was asking that there wasn't any. So I just, you know, sort of surreptitiously took this glass of orange juice and I took it over there and I got it. And, you know, I didn't even get hardly much of a thank you, but that, that happened. And I wouldn't, of course, have been as desperate. I wouldn't, have, I mean, I was literally sweating to, to try to get this, right? Again, totally stupid, very, very silly um, example. But it was the first time that, it, that I was in the Sea Org where somebody gave me what was basically an impossible task, seemingly. And I had to raise my necessity level and I had to pass this supreme test and I had to go get this class of orange juice. And I pulled that off. And, um, and of course, you know, with the Scientology terminology and belief system, I said I just, you know, pulled it in. I just found this, you know, this, this, this glass out of nowhere. I just made it go right. And that is sort of the spirit of the thing when they say that in Scientology is you're just supposed to make that happen. So. Long explanation and story for a fairly simple concept, but I hope that gets across not only what it means and why people believe it, that it's an important thing in Scientology, but how it actually expresses itself in day-to-day Sea Org life too. So there you go. DL. Hearing the story of you in the bathroom of the Santa Barbara Org yelling at ghosts to go and get a body got me thinking. If you could go back in time in a time machine for 30 minutes, where and when would you go? What would you say to yourself and how would it have changed your life? Well, it's a funny question because if I had a time machine and I could have go anywhere backwards in time, I would not go to an earlier point in my life. I, I, I've not had a, you know, an amazing, exciting, incredible life and there isn't really anything I'd want to go back. Well, actually there is and I'll, I'll answer the question uh, in just a second in terms of if I could go back and change something I did. Um, but I would actually go way, way further back than, than my lifetime. I would go back to, you know, the beginning of the universe and, and check out this whole Big Bang thing. Or, or I've, I've always kind of been, you know, if I, had to be, if I had to go back to a place in human history, I might go back to uh, the year zero and see if this guy Jesus Christ is actually around. <laughs> you know, check out, uh, you know, Nazareth and, and that area and see if, uh, see if he was really roaming around back then and what was actually going on. I think that would be a fascinating uh, question to answer, like how that all went down. Uh, maybe go back there, see what happens, then move forward 50 years, spend a year or two, move forward another 50 years, spend another year or two, like watch the progression of how that really went down. 
I think that would be highly educational uh, as far as uh, the, the roots of Christianity, which has shaped everything about our culture and civilization. So uh, I'd be a little curious about that. But as far as getting to the point of your question, I think you're, looking, you're talking about my life now. Um, I'll tell you the point that I would go back to is I would go back to the point in time when I was a Santa Barbara Org staff member and I found out that I had a son, you know, that I had, that I had gotten um, uh, his mother gay pregnant and that she was there in Australia and I was in Santa Barbara. And I would tell myself that, uh, that it would be the biggest regret of my life, which it was, to not just drop everything and just go be a father for that boy. Uh, you know, and a husband to, to gay because we were very much in love at that time. Uh, and, I, and I'll always have a fondness for her. She did, she, she's an amazing woman and did an amazing job raising my son Josh. Uh, our son, you know, very, very much hers. <laughs> I mean, she was the one who raised him. Uh, I finally got to meet him last year and, uh, and I am very, very happy about that. But as far as life, you know, if, if I could go back and change something, it would have been changing that because because um, I've always felt a bit regretful about that. But I can't really do anything about it, so I don't, you know, dwell on it too much. I've just done the best I can to deal with that situation and, and make it work. So um, that's what I would go back to do, and I would basically express it just like that. I would talk to myself. I remember my frame of mind back then and, and how important my post was in, at the org, at the, at the Santa Barbara Church, and how, and how I felt like it was if I left, everything would fall apart, and it wouldn't, you know, and, and I'd gone and done this specialist training in Los Angeles, and I'd come back, and I was, I was the only person who could fill this role, and nobody else could do it, which is why I was stuck there. That was the reason I convinced myself that I couldn't leave, and I couldn't go be a father and a husband to, you know, this, this family. I, I couldn't do that because I owed the, the Scientology, you know, my work because I'd signed a contract, and it was so important, and we were saving the world. And if I could have a 30 minute, a full 30 minutes with myself back then, I think I could get it across to myself that that's not at all what I was really up to uh, doing and that I really had bigger responsibilities that I should be taking care of that were very real in the real world compared to these, you know, sort of pie in the sky ideas of, of saving the world. When I was, you know, when you're 21 or 22 years old, it is really easy to sell a person on that because they uh, just think that they're, you know, they, there's a lot of reasons for it. But uh, I won't, I won't lay my, you know, thing on everybody. But I'll just say that, you know, it's not hard to convince young people that they are more, way more important than they really are. <laughs> and um, and that's what I would do. Patricia Benavente. Could you talk sometime about the level of support and the kind of support you encountered when you exited Scientology? For example, were you able to find a good support group of ex-members that would give you emotional and psychological support? Do people who leave Scientology find support easily? And do you know if this is the case too for other destructive cults? The reason I'm asking is because I think when people get out of an authoritarian church they can't find, most of the time, people who understand what they are going through. I think just the opposite happens. They tend to be judged by pastors assuming that they are inconsistent people, that they are not committed. Normally, pastors blame the people getting out of the church, not the pastor of the abusive church. I don't know in the U.S., but here in Spain, people in general have no idea what you're talking about. 
there's no place or small community of people with whom you can connect and talk about what you've lived and get some understanding. Thanks, Patricia, for this question, and I totally understand the situation there. Spain, of course, I can't really speak very intelligently about it. A wildly different culture and history and background to the United States. So I, you know, I can't really speak to you know, the attitudes there. I can only really talk about what I've encountered here in the United States. Um, I know that there are support groups and there are, there are a lot of very progressive uh, work being done in Europe in general, but, I, but Spain specifically, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, in terms of the judgment you're talking about, I definitely have seen that. I didn't go from the Church of Scientology to another church group or organization in order to get help uh, or support in any way. I didn't want to have anything to do with organized religion and, you know, pretty much I still don't. I have very, you know, big ideas about religion and religious ideas and philosophies and that sort of thing. But as far as organized religion goes, I think most of them miss the boat uh, in a number of ways and uh, can miss it so badly that they end up becoming, you know, little destructive cults uh, or big destructive cults uh, when you talk about something like the Jehovah's Witnesses or something. So I, I have a fairly negative view of organized religion without having a negative view of religion itself. And, you know, and of course I identify as an atheist agnostic. So what I ran into uh, coming out of Scientology was um, skepticism and critical thinking. And so the meetup groups that I got involved with right away were skeptic groups. And a lot of people who are atheists or skeptics come from a religious background. They were raised with it or they, you know, got into the church somehow, whether it's a Christian church, Catholic church, whatever, uh, you know, Jewish faith. Um, Islam, I mean, people come to skepticism and atheism from all different kinds of groups, including having always felt like they were an atheist. So it's not that everybody's an ex-member by any means, but what I ran into in getting into this group and talking about my Scientology past was people who really did understand because they had come out of religious groups too, some of them quite authoritarian and, and controlling, and so they understood you know, the, the need for support, for a, a, you know, a helpful ear and, a, and a, you know, not just, just to be there and listen to what you had to say and, um, you know, talk about how difficult it can be to transition from this really all-consuming belief system to, I don't know, you know, what, what belief system? I don't know what to think. I don't know what's right and what's wrong, what's up and what's down. Um, and I got a lot of support from that. That was when I was still in Minnesota. I was hooking up with those meetup groups and uh, meeting with those people. So much so that I got so much support from that that when I came here to, to Denver, I the first thing I did on meetup was I looked up what are the atheist skeptic groups here in Denver and I hooked up with the Secular Hub, which I'm now you know, very much part of. So that was a really real world support system for me. Uh, online, I also found a tremendous amount of help through the Ex-Scientologist Message Board, through Xenu.net, through Facebook, you know, just connecting with former members, uh, and of course, eventually through my own YouTube channel, uh, because I got, you know, tons of uh, constructive, helpful, positive comments from people which were supportive in and of themselves. And all of these things coming together, as well as continuing on with uh, my education, about destructive cults and about philosophy and religion and science, all of those things together have, have come together to help me 
um, kind of pick myself up out of that whole Scientology certainty trap and uh, look at the world through uh, less filtered eyes, more critical eyes. Um, and, but in a way, you know, more hopeful eyes too, because when I was in Scientology, I was absolutely certain that the world was on its way out. And now I can look at the world and I don't, I don't see that at all. I, I see much more positive things going on in the world than I ever thought was going on when I was a Scientologist. So that's my, my experience. I hope that that answer is helpful. If there's anything else you have a question about from that, just let me know. Dennis Peterson. What would a cleared planet look like? Would the Church of Scientology get involved in the political system of the world or just stay on the sidelines? Would they invest heavily in space technology in order to reach alien civilizations or target two? What would happen to the organization itself? All right, well, you know, Hubbard wrote in a couple different places that they were building a new society to hell with this one. Uh, new civilization was in order. We should basically be hitting the reset button in many ways. And so Scientology's growth would sort of uh, to, to becoming a cleared planet, or you know, if they achieved a cleared planet, then you'd have a very, very different societal, societal structure. It would be, um, it, for all practical purposes, we've, uh, in the ex-Scientology world, have tended to uh, draw on North Korea as a pretty pragmatically real example of what Scientology would probably develop into. Because Scientology has a, an authoritarian structure to it. The, 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 the knowledge reports, the spying on one another, the reporting, the need to report in writing on fellow members about their ethical lapses, uh, keep everybody you know, towing the line and following the, the word from above being you know, the word from David Miscavige. It's very leader focused. And uh, while I don't think too many Scientologists think of themselves as you know, follow the leader types, Look at how they act. Look at what they do. You know, they can convince themselves that they're becoming totally spiritually free and, you know, very independent people. But in the end, they toe the line because there is this, you know, carrot reward system and uh, punishment system uh, in place to keep you on the straight and narrow. And I see no reason why Scientology as a structure, as a culture, Whatever, which would change. It would only get worse as they got bigger and more people got involved because the more and more and more people who bought into that belief system, the more sure everybody in that group would become, you know, through the social dynamics and peer pressure and, and uh, group think that would go on there, they would be, you know, insufferably uh, arrogant and would be absolutely sure that what they were doing was the, you know, only true right path to follow. And anybody who wasn't following that path or resisted that would be, you know, treated as second-class citizens. And they'd probably start taking rights away from people because Hubbard wrote in a few places that criminals have, shouldn't have the same rights as honest people. Well, of course, Scientologists consider themselves the honest people. Of course they do. So they're going to, you know, they'd actually start victimizing people who didn't step in line with what they were thinking. Uh, so this would affect all levels of society, the, the, the police forces, the, the civil structures, uh, government rights, you know, the Bill of Rights would be affected by this. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely, they would get involved in, in government. Uh, I, think, I think it's David Miscavige's wet dream to get a couple Scientologists in the Senate or something. Oh, my God. He would just, you know, fall all over himself if something like that happened. 
So uh, they very much are, are, you know, crave that kind of power to, to wield it over other people. As far as the um, as far as the alien thing or or space program, yeah, that would actually become a thing too, because you know they take that stuff seriously, especially in the Sea Org, uh, and Target too is a is a very real thing. That that's the idea in Scientology that they're going to clear this planet, that they're going to get everybody made into Scientologists. And then they're going to go off and find another planet, and they're going to clear that one too. In other words, they're going to go find life elsewhere in the universe, and they're going to get Scientology to those beings. Because they, no matter what kind of bodies those beings have, they're spiritual beings. You know, they're Thetans first. And they need to be cleared of all of their reactive mind and, and body Thetans and all that stuff, you know. So, uh, so that would be the general order of things. Now, of course, I can also say to kind of, you know, <laughs> I don't know what the expression is, but basically to invalidate the whole question in the first place, um, it, this would never happen because Scientology is so unbelievably inefficient at what they do. And they are totalitarian, and totalitarian structures almost universally fall apart within one generation. Uh, the Soviet Union within, what, 90 years? It didn't even last 100 years uh, before it fell apart. Um, so, you know, these things don't really last a long time given the organizational structures and, and instructions and guidelines that L. Ron Hubbard put together. The, trying to follow those policies and build something that would actually work that would never, that would just never happen because they, they, they don't work. And the harder you try to follow Hubbard's advices, the worse it gets. So, um, so I, if we were going to see a cleared planet and Scientology take over the whole world, we would see a very different Scientology than what we see now because it would have to change in order to evolve into becoming something that big. There you go. Leah Spear. If you could pick one religion to be true, which one would you choose and why? Okay, this is a tough question to answer because, um, well, it's not too tough, but it's a little tough. I, I think I might be feeling tough uh, because because um, I don't want to offend everybody out there. You know, there's a lot of people who watch this channel who have different belief systems and ideas, and I don't want to, you know, feel like I'm insulting you guys, um, but those belief systems are not for me. I don't buy into it. It doesn't make any logical sense to me. The idea of a of an Old Testament or a New Testament God or Jesus or these kind of things, I that doesn't make doesn't make any sense. I don't. I can't see a God that demands subservience and worship and um, and, and then tricks Adam and Eve with the whole you know fruit of the forbidden knowledge and you know knowledge of good and evil. I should say. Uh, I, I I don't buy into all that. I think that that is a pretty sick and twisted story, and I. I understand the moral concepts underlying it and the framework, and there's a lot of different ways you could frame it and interpret it. Uh, and I find all that stuff fascinating from a philosophical point of view and from a psychological point of view and even sociology to some degree, anthropology. But religious, you know, that, that these things are true? Yeah, no way. And, and would I want them to be true? No, I wouldn't. I would not want to worship the God of the Bible. I wouldn't want to worship the God of the Book of Mormon. I wouldn't want to worship the God of Islam. I don't want to worship anybody. I don't think that is a, uh, a fair thing to, uh, for a creator to ask of his creation, that you shall worship me. I mean, what the hell? You know, were we all created by a narcissist? I mean, what is this? If you're going to imbue something with independent life and free will, 
then why would you make a slave out of it immediately and threaten it with torture and damnation for eternity if they don't follow your word and yet somehow they're supposed to have free will? That does not make any sense to me. So, if I could choose any religion to be the truth, and I would, you know, this is how it is, all of those go by the boards. Because I don't want to subjugate human beings to some higher deity or something. And that brings me around to maybe Buddhism, but I don't really understand Buddhism. I'm not going to fake my way through understand, you know, some Western idea of what Buddhism is and say I know something about it. I also know Buddhism has been corrupted over the years in the same way Christianity has been with the writings changing and the original teachings. Uh, changing to the point where we don't even really know what the original teachings are. That's why I said earlier, if I had a time machine, I'd go back and find out what, you know, did Christ really live and did he really say this stuff? What really went down? You know, I'd be, I'd, just from a historical point of view, I'd, I'd be absolutely fascinated to find out. Maybe the same thing with Buddha. You know, I'd go back, but of course I'd have to learn the language. Or I'd have to do the same thing with Jesus, I guess. But, you know, I'd go back and, and see what was up with Buddha. You know, what did he really say? Because they worship him as a god now. And I know, you know, at least according to what L. Ron Hubbard said <laughs> and what I've read of Buddha in other places, um, you know, he was the last person who wanted to be worshipped. He was, that's not what this whole thing was about. So, uh, so anyway, I don't, I, you know, so I'm not going to say Buddhism because I don't really understand Buddhism. And, uh, and, and so I'm not going to say that that would be a, the, the, the one true religion I would, I would like to have be, you know, true. So I guess in the end, what it comes down to is if I had to choose one, I'm most familiar with Scientology. And, and if you take all the structure of the organization away from it, and you just look at the philosophy and the belief system and the, the idea of all of us being immortal spiritual beings who have lived nearly you know, forever in the past and will live forever into the future, we don't die. We are able to be causative agents of our own lives and manipulate and influence the events that, you know, that make our lives what they are. We, are not, you know, we don't have to bow down to fate or karma or something like that. Uh, that idea really appeals to me. It appeals to a lot of people. That's why they become Scientologists in the first place. Uh, taking away the, you know, the L. Ron Hubbard reverence and the David Miscavige bullshit because David Miscavige has nothing to do with, you know, formulating the actual beliefs of Scientology. Um, I, I, you know, there's a lot there that appeals to me as a, as a, as a fairly independent person. So, uh, so I guess I'd say that. But, you know, of course there's so much baggage connected with Scientology that it's a little hard to say that in, in, a, in a pure way and be totally understood, you know what I mean? Because that doesn't mean that I want all the structure of Scientology. I don't want the knowledge reports. I don't want this, you know, the organizing boards. I don't want the ethics officers. I don't want the Office of Special Affairs. I don't want any of that. So that's not the part of Scientology that I would want to be true or that I'd want to hold on to. I'm talking basically about the idea of a spiritual existence and the idea that we do continue to live and that we do continue to grow and learn, or at least we have the potential to, that idea appeals to me. So, um, so that's my answer to the question, and I hope, it, I hope it satisfies, and we'll see if I get any you know, nasty grams in the comments, but, um, but that's my idea there. Okay, the lightning and the thunder indicates it is time for Flash Answers. Becky Leib, as Scientology loses members and appears to be losing the PR war, 
Do you think the Sea Org will allow for babies again as a way to grow the church? You know, it's actually not that ridiculous of a question, and um, I, I think it's a good question, but I think the answer is no. I don't think that the, that the Sea Org is going to go that direction because then they'd have to, one, recognize that there's something more important or as important as the Sea Org itself and its mission, and they can't afford to do that. They need everybody in the Sea Org on deck, towing the line, full attention on what they're doing at all times, and obeying orders. And if they start having what Hubbard would call other fish to fry by raising kids, well, that's just a huge distraction, and it would take people, to some degree, out of the cult mindset. And that would start breaking apart the entire structure of what it's all about. So, for, just for that reason, I don't think they're going to do it. The other reason I don't think they're going to do it is because it would take money and time and effort to set up nurseries and facilities and schools and all of that kind of stuff to deal with these Sea Org babies, because you've got to grow these kids, and that takes, you know, 15 years, 16 years. Even if you only want to take 12 years and then get them all in the Sea Org, that's still 12 years that you've got to dedicate to teaching them, feeding them, making them, you know, giving them a place to sleep and all that. So it would just be this tremendous load uh, that David Miscavige, who I believe is kind of afraid of kids, <laughs> you know, he's not going to go for that. So, uh, no, I don't think Scientology's going to do that. DA. Is Dave Miscavige an OT8? If not, do we actually have good reason to believe he is not? What is the source? I have absolutely no idea. I, I don't think he got to OT8. I've heard different things about it. I don't have any, you know, certification for him or inside knowledge about Dave Miscavige's bridge progress. What I do know is that he hasn't gone in session since about 1994. And I don't believe that he is a true believer in Scientology, so I don't have any reason to believe that he's gotten all the way up to OT8, although I know he has seen the OT8 materials. So, you know, maybe he has, maybe he got there, but I, I don't really know. Tabla Queen. In a Facebook group I'm in, Scientology came up in discussion, and one guy said he thought it would always be around, quote, because there are always people who are at such a low in their life that they want to be constantly told what to do." End quote. I think that may be the case for some cults or fundamentalist groups, but I don't think that's true of Scientology. As you and others have said, people who get into it think they're helping themselves and others. What's your opinion on that? Is that guy totally wrong when it comes to Scientology? I realize they do follow rules, but don't see it as them doing that just because they want to serve. Well, it's an interesting point because it's a multi-layered thing. I mean, there are people, people get into Scientology and they are told what to do continuously over and over and over again. Even if they're just public Scientologists who are just paying for their services, they're constantly being sold more. So they're being told to buy over and over and over again. And they're being told what their next service is, what it is that they have to do next. You don't get to pick and choose. You have to follow the directions of the case supervisor or the course room supervisors and the, the salespeople who are always telling you what to do. So Scientology is a very controlling organization. That's why I've referred to it as authoritarian or even totalitarian in some ways. They tell you what to think. They tell you how to act. They tell you how to feel. Um, they tell you what you can and can't be exposed to as far as information goes. So, um, so to that, in that sense, the guy who, you know, you quoted from there had a point. 
as far as the mission and the goal and the idea of Scientology, it's to free you up and make you more independent and all that. So in that sense, it seems to run contrary to what he's saying. And so, you know, that's another layer of this question that you kind of go, well, no, in that sense, it's not that way. Um, but I don't think too many people join these destructive cults because they're in a frame of mind that they want to be told what to do and want to go through their life as some kind of automated robot or something. That's not generally why people join these groups. So I'd say to that degree, he's probably off. But you'd want to have more of a discussion about it and sort of see what angle is he coming at that from. That's my answer to that. Okay, everybody, that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and listening to everything I had to uh, gabble on here about. Uh, any questions, comments, feedback, leave it in the comment section below. And again, please consider joining me on Patreon and help me keep this channel going. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.